What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Sweat and Grime. It's your host, Brian, along with your host, Rick, here in person and remotely, unfortunately, because he could not join us here in person. We've got Matt Totten on the phone. How are you, Matt? Excellent, guys. Just a little chilly. Wishing I was down there with you all. Absolutely. So we are live broadcasting from Florida for the AED Summit, and that has put us in a very unique position, and we are uh, very privileged to be able to interview Congressman Fox, or Congresswoman Fox, I should say. How are you today? I am wonderful. I am amongst a group of wonderful people who are making this world move. We're trying. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for joining us and Absolutely. giving us some of your time you. and knowledge here. I'm ter- I'm delighted to be here. I have never really learned to to uh, run one of these machines, but I can drive most anything, so I could probably do one if I needed to. Well, yeah. if you ever find yourself in Michigan, absolutely hit Rick and I up. We can absolutely set you in the seat of a machine and give you a couple starter rounds, and then All we'll right. go at it. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Well, one of the first questions I have for you is, is we were doing a little background reading on you, and you've got a pretty interesting uh, a story of, of an upbringing. You started in the Bronx. And from very humble beginnings, and then kind of rose through the ranks and ended up becoming a politician. Can you kind of just give us a little bit of your backstory and and who you are? Sure. Well, first I'll tell you, Wikipedia has it a little wrong. I was actually born in Manhattan. Okay. uh, In in an area that used to be known as Little Italy. Uh, my father's parents came here from Italy in the early 16, in the early 1900s, excuse me. And then my mother was working in New York during World War II and met my dad. So I was born there. But when I was six and a half, we moved to the mountains of North Carolina. And I lived way out in the sticks. I mean the sticks. We had no electricity. We had no running water. The house I lived in... Um, was very, very primitive, to say the least. Um, So I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina, extremely poor. What we ate was what we grew or killed. Wow. Or or caught in the creek. You're a hunter. Yeah. So, um, but I am really glad that I had that upbringing because it uh, taught me the value of hard work. I did a lot of different jobs growing up. I hoed corn. I set potatoes, um, uh, set cabbage, dug potatoes, picked beans. So I had a very interesting background. And where about in North Carolina? Where I was up, up in the mountains in Avery County. And uh, a lot of people won't know that Avery County, but it's where Banner Elk, it's near, it's where Banner Elk is located. There's ski slopes there. Uh, I know you have ski slopes in Michigan, but we have the highest mountains east of the Rockies. Well, don't give us too much credit because all of our ski slopes are garbage landfills. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, well, ours are 5,000 feet or more. Wow. wow. So our mountains are 6,000 feet. We do have Grandfather Mountain, Mount Mitchell, uh, Roan Mountain in our area. So that's where I grew up. I grew up in the 50s, graduated from high school in 1961. My senior year in high school, I was the high school janitor. And uh, I had a student teacher who told me I needed to go to college, didn't plan to go, didn't have any money. Nobody in my family had ever graduated from high school. But I decided to take his advice. I got admitted to a junior college last minute, took the SAT the last minute, got admitted, went there a semester, dropped out, went to New York City and worked for a six months and realized I didn't want to live in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be in North now, Carolina. Yeah. Now were you now were you working as a janitor and also going to school at the same time? I was. I was well I All was right. part I was part time janitor. The the ma- the maintenance man had to come back after driving the school bus in the afternoon sweep out the school. So he asked me, paid me ten dollars a month to sweep the school out every afternoon and then I would walk home. We had by that time moved a little closer to town. I was fourteen when we got electricity and running water in wow. the house. Wow. Now do you and, think now do you think that we should start making our kids clean the schools that they trash it as they learn <laughs> to clean up after themselves and, you know, respect, you know, people's properties. Well, you know, <laughs> and get a good work ethic. 
Absolutely. Actually, there's a big article recently uh, in one of the education magazines about how some school system somewhere in the country has started hiring students to help in the cafeteria and to help clean the schools out. And this is a big, big revelation about doing that. And I wrote a letter to the editor saying, come on, guys, this used to be done all the time. Students yep. used to work part time in the schools best thing in the world could ever happen to them you know but we should start students early learning yes my daughter worked as a cashier when she was in high school i mean we always from the time she was about 12 we told her she had to work for expense money she'd complain about it but you know i'd tell her she worked as a cashier and made $50 a week, free and clear. And I told her, I never had $50 a week. I could spend any way I wanted to. Sure. Her meals were paid for, her home was paid for, every bill was paid for. All she, she had $50 a week. I, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously, child labor laws are there f- to protect children. But at the same time, like everything else in life, there should be a balance. And, and I feel right. like we've gone so far of protecting and shielding that kids don't grow up learning what good work ethic is. That's, you know, being in the skilled trades, we're seeing that right and left. They don't know what work ethic is. We're turning rocks over to find people to get in the industry to help out. And it's just the work ethic wasn't established at a young age. So now when they get 18, 20 years old, that work ethic of gaming and cell phones, that was the work ethic today. That's exactly right. And it's It's a tough world. It's a tough world, and I agree with you guys. And I'm so glad to hear you talk about skill trades because that's been my message for a long, long time. It took me seven years to get my undergraduate degree because I worked full-time, went to school part-time because I had no money. I was going to say, you have the excuse it took me six years, and it was because I took the scenic route. <laughs> yeah, I know. I understand. With honors. <laughs> and by the way, you know, they keep they talk all the time about a four-year degree, but the schools aren't even measuring graduation rates after four years now. Wow. It's only after six and eight years. Huh. Wow. Because the majority of students who do graduate, and only 53% who begin college graduate, and so they don't graduate until six years, most of them. Yeah. Now, there are some. But, it, but anyway, my brother, I had a younger brother, and when he was a senior in high school, 1969, he said to me, I don't want to go to college, but I don't want you and mom and dad to be ashamed of me. That's... It cut me to the quick. Yeah, yeah. And I said, but... Isn't that an odd situation? It shouldn't be looked upon that you're going into the trades or not going to college. That's right. You know, that's so, right. Yeah. So, so you find that I am the biggest promoter of skilled trades in the Congress of the United States or in many other places. So I said to my brother, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to be a carpenter. I said, you know what? That's a very honorable profession. Absolutely. And I was working at a resort called Beach Mountain at the time. That was uh, the second ski resort that came into our area. And they were desperate for all kinds of skilled people. Uh, Carpenters, uh, plumbers, electricians, anybody that could do anything. And so I was able to set up a carpentry apprenticeship program with Associated General Contractors. So my brother went into that program with 16 other guys, and three and a half years later, he got his journeyman license. Now, that is he, so cool. He and the, the, the um, contractors who hired him, I told him, I said, there are a lot of good contractors around here. My husband and I were actually in the building business at that time. I said, but I want you to go to work. I want you to have a certificate when you complete this. I think that is such a key to everything that we're doing. You know, you can get on a job and work for 20 years and be one of the best, whatever you want to say, mechanic, uh, carpenter, electrician. But in our society, if you don't have a certificate to show for it, then you, you can't prove to people that you can do it. Right. Now, a college degree proves absolutely nothing. 
100%. You can sit and listen. That's what it proves. It is a high <laughs> piece of paper. It proves persistence. Yes. That's exact. I've got a doctorate, and I can tell you the same thing. I'm telling you, there's some people got their doctorates when I did, and I was a little embarrassed. Yeah. I was, it's just a persistence it's 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 an acclim- uh, an acknowledgement of persistence. Sure, is what it is. So we don't know what skills people have when they get a degree in college. So um, my brother finished that up. He went on to be an in- quote engineer in a phone company and wound up doing that for thirty some years and graduating. But you know, he showed me how to buy my first desktop computer. Oh wow. When desktops were first coming out, he, he, he ordered it for me, set it up for me, taught me how to use it. Wow. Okay? And this is, this is this, the guy without a college education. Correct. And this is the woman with a doctorate. Yes. Yep. Who could not do that. Yes. Okay? So he's the smartest man I know next to my husband. I was going to say, tread lightly there. I know. <laughs> yeah. Now, my husband really is smart. Now, my husband does have a college degree, but he's learned so much by doing things. He actually grew up, his father died when he was 10 years old, but he watched his father and his uncle, and he learned a lot, but he had to learn to do things for himself. Yeah, yeah. And yep. he does that now. And he's always told me, you give me a tool, I can do anything. I can figure out how to do it. Sure. And he literally yep. can. We were in construction business twice in our lives, once for about five years, and then once for about 20 years. And we were in the nursery and landscaping business. I was going to say, I'd read that. Yeah. 35 years in the nursery and landscaping business. Wow. And we learned much of what we had to do. We read a lot about it, but we also learned on the job. Sure. And we went to trade yes, shows. I'm learning. And we went to trade shows like this AED trade show here. We would go to every place we could go to learn from other people how to do a better job. But neither of us had a degree in horticulture or landscape architecture. And my husband's one of the most brilliant landscape architects I have ever seen. I mean, you should see some of the things that he's done, the plans that he's laid out. He doesn't have a degree. But he's smart enough to figure out how to do it. And in our culture, what we need to do is match people's innate skills with, with development of those skills in a way they can monetize it. Yes. And that's what we're missing in our culture. We went through a period of time, 40 or 50 years, where we pushed people into getting a baccalaureate degree who weren't really interested in it, didn't care about it, didn't have the talent for it. And then, in many cases, they couldn't get a job. They're still coming out with a baccalaureate degree. I'm going to raise my hand on that. That's 100% where I am. That's how I ended in the trades is I went to college, got the degree, and it was right after the crash in 08. And I came out, and I'm competing with middle management that has 10-plus years of experience. And here I am with... $60,000 $60,000 worth of student loans and they only want to pay me 50 grand a year with 10 years of experience and I'm right. going I was told this was the way to be successful. Yes. And that didn't happen. Right. <laughs> and and if a student will go into uh, HVAC, uh, diesel mechanics, uh uh, into electrical work. Get, sometimes you can do it in 18 months. Sometimes it takes two years to get that. Again, certification sure. is important. And then you can get a job starting out $60,000 a year. Absolutely. Any of those right off the bat. No debt. Yep. It's the degree with no debt. Yes. Or you start in high school in many, many states now are doing early college where students are starting in the ninth grade, going to a community college usually, taking the courses that they need, coming out with an AA or an AS degree, and they're ready to go to work. And some of them are working while they're going to school. Yes. Especially the junior and senior years. So again, I've been a big proponent of that all my life. And so what I'm trying to do is get people to help us change our culture so that we acknowledge and honor, honor the 70% of the people in this country who do, who keep this country going. Sure. 
to so, keep this country going. So I do want to delve into that. But first of all, I did want to kind of, I, I sort of want to apologize for the background noise. But at the same time, I think this is the perfect backdrop to our podcast. This, we is, are, this is the show getting yeah, ready. This is, we are live. We, we are actually <laughs> broadcasting on the floor of, of AED Summit while everyone is still putting up all of their displays and their booths. So you're going to hear lots of, we've got vacuums going in the background. We've got equipment moving around. We've got hammers banging. So... I sort of apologize. And we got you talking. And we got us talking. That's right. But I, you know, I do feel like this is the perfect background noise for for our podcast. So now, now, Miss Fox, back in the day, uh, the way it's looked at now, as we dive into this rabbit hole of the culture of the construction trades, back in the day, is it still the same outlook as people are today? Where that's where people went when they couldn't make it in a college degree. And elsewhere, it was kind of like shun like a redheaded stepchild where if you can't make it, you went over here and people have this bad rap of not realizing you can make a phenomenal living being in the trades. Was it like that back in the 60s, 70s? Yes, it was. As I told you, my brother was graduating from high school in 1969. I didn't get my degree till 68 because, as I said, it took me seven years. Sure. Uh, but but he had that that idea was imbued in people even then. And it continued till now, actually. And now people are beginning to see, number one, for the last 10 or 12 years, we've been seeing more and more and more about the debt, how much debt students are coming out with and the fact that they can't pay it back because they can't get jobs that pay them enough to pay back their debt. Or students are going to college and they're accruing debt and they're not graduating. That's an even sadder situation. Um, and and yet there are people who are going into these where we have 11 million jobs right now, guys, unfilled. Three years ago, we were talking about 7 million jobs unfilled because I was talking to groups like yours saying, we got 7 million jobs unfilled. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we need to do something about it. So what can we do about it? So as I said, people now are, are beginning, the enrollment in colleges went down this year at about 5%, went down last year about 5%. So it's a combination. I've said over and over, the best thing that's happened with COVID is that it has revealed the incompetency and the uh, negative about our education system not not just k through 12 but but post-secondary education too it has shown how it's not useless i do want to say that i have a bachelor's degree in english my degree in english has been very helpful to me okay but you know what my typing that i took in high school has been my salvation yeah because i could i could get jobs Without a degree, yes, as a typist, sure, and I can still type about 85, 90 words a minute. That's Woo, pretty dang I was say, I'm, yeah. I'm about ninety back in my prime. I'm a yeah. key, I'm a key poker baby. Yeah, yeah. Rick's over there about one or two. <laughs> because I type, I type everything. I still type. I hate texting because I've got only one good thumb, and so I don't like type texting. But I can you sit me down in front of a keyboard. And I can go to town. I, t- I learned to type on a manual typewriter. When I graduated high school, I could type 96 correct words a minute on a manual typewriter. And your fingers That's look impressive. like miniature Arnold Schwarzeneggers. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I was in, see, I know how to dig ditches. When we were in construction, I could, I can put on cedar shake roofs. I can mix mud. I can uh, put up insulation. Yeah. I've never been a good painter. I'll have to admit. I've Are never you been looking a for a job? No. <laughs> I gotta Matt is actually hiring right now. <laughs> we're, we're campaigning for the help. Hey, Matt, yeah. I'm, also, I'm also keeping up my waitressing skills. I'm always cleaning Woo. off tables and pouring water and pouring coffee. <laughs> I tell people right. I never never know when I'm going to you know need need to go back to work <laughs> in that kind of job. That's an honorable job, too. You know, if I had my way about it, Every young person would work in waitressing for two weeks. Absolutely. Retail for two weeks. Yes. Some form of construction for two weeks. And they'd spend two weeks overseas. That's perfect. In in a less developed country. And I would say not even just for the aspect of exposing them to what's out there. My bigger thing is 
having respect for those professions. It, that's Sitting exactly what shoes. I'm talking about. Yeah. That's exactly yes. what I'm talking about. Because you're a better tipper if you are ever a waitress. I yes. can't I can't stand ten percent tippers. No. That drives me absolutely no. insane Rick, when they're working hard. Rick makes a fine waitress. I do. <laughs> <laughs> We ain't got to go there. <laughs> now, Ms. Fox, he also, go ahead, Matt. He, he also covers uh, bills when somebody shows up without uh, of, uh, money. Without That's your right. money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to watch those gift cards. Oh, I left my wallet at home, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny you, you say that. You run into some wealthy people, and the one time we were sitting there at a dinner table, and I looked over and I said, Jim? He said, yeah, and we went out to dinner but like three or four times. Um, and I always picked up the tab to the third time. And as I paid the bill and Jim was pretty wealthy, I said, Jim, do you got a wallet? He said, yeah, why? I said, oh, you just, you never pull it out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Don't cover the tip. <laughs> That's why he has money. <laughs> exactly. Now, Miss Fox, with the, with the trades hurting as a whole, what age and how do we campaign are we are we looking at like the middle schoolers these days are trying to get them involved or high schoolers and why aren't we seeing absolutely and this isn't directed towards you but why aren't we seeing with this such labor shortage that COVID has revealed is there like any talks of the higher up besides just two guys in a microphone and now you podcasting with us live is there any other thoughts and people promoting and going after saying we really got to get this in because this is really the backbone of America is the skill trades sure. I don't. I don't know if we're really promoting enough and at what age do we start and how do we do this? Well, number one, Rick, you're right. It almost needs to start in the in middle schools. We need to have students exposed to what's, what, what's out there as an option for them uh, because many students don't know. Um, and so there are a lot of uh, places where they're taking students on tours of different work sites to let them see that. But the most successful thing is to, I think, is to have programs in the high schools where students are exposed to them. Now I will tell you, when I was in high school, we had home economics for the girls and we had- Hey, I took that. Yeah. Well, they changed a little bit at some stage where they encouraged both males and females to go into home economics. My husband took agriculture he will tell you to this day, it was one of the best courses he ever took in his life. Sure. And uh, and by the way, his ag teacher lived to be 102 years old, so that wow. tells you something. It's all that fertilizer. <laughs> <laughs> had that green thumb. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we used to do a lot more of that in the schools. It, again, gradually got away. Because you know one issue? Those guys who are teaching those classes really should be making more money than the other teachers. Absolutely. Because they have skills that can't be duplicated. But the school systems in many cases wouldn't do that. They want to pay everybody the same. So teachers who are a dime a dozen get paid the same as people who are very hard to find. Sure. But, but we should be doing it in the schools. And you are seeing more and more of it as people are coming to the realization like we were talking to somebody today at lunch, a very wealthy guy, who said, I can't, I have had no heat, no hot water at my house for three days. Yeah. He said, because I can't get a plumber. Yep. yep. And, uh, you know, he said, I, I, I'd pay most anything if I could just get a plumber there. And so we need to start early on. And again, with all the news about debt and, and people having trouble graduating from college, more and more parents are paying attention. Yeah. Now, that's the other issue. Parents have to be convinced that this is an honorable profession. And see, that's, the other, that's the other thing I talk about is if you are a forklift driver or you are a heavy equipment operator, you are a professional people just as much as a doctor, a nurse, a teacher, or a lawyer. Yes. So okay. I, I tell my story all the time because it's it's truly the epitome of of kind of where we're at as a country right now from this standpoint. So um, I went I started in the banking industry, I went to college, got a degree, absolutely hated it, and there was no money. And so I decided I was going to, you know, I had always wanted to run heavy equipment. So I decided to go do that. And there was one day that just poignantly sticks out in my mind. Uh, I was running this piece of equipment called a concrete breaker. 
And it's essentially this giant piece of equipment that has this huge steel hammer on the back. Weighs about 10 tons. It raises it up and then drops it on the concrete and breaks it. That way the, the road crew can come scoop it up. I was running that machine. It was pouring rain in Michigan. I have my, my full rain gear on and I've got my head down so I don't have water running in my face and everything. And I just had this, this moment where I thought, man, I'm, I'm the guy on the side of the road that everyone points at and goes, see kids, that's why you stay in school. Yeah. And then as I processed through that, I thought, that's BS. Because what none of those people driving by know is up in Michigan, because we have the layoff for the wintertime, sure. I would make about $85,000 a year working about six to seven months out Why? of the year. I'm making more than a lot of those people driving by, pointing and using me as the stay-in-school example. And not working 12 months. And I'm, I'm working less than they are, and I'm generally making more money than most that's of them right. are. And that's, exactly. that's the message we need to get out instead of, well, don't be that guy. Right. No, be, strive to be that guy. Strive to be some, you are making choices for your life. You are not letting somebody else dictate Absolutely. what you are going to do. You know, the biggest problem, the other problem, the problem we've had with COVID is this loss of freedom sure. for people, individual freedom. And what we need to do is bring that back in every aspect of our country where people are informed and choose. Sure. Totally agree. You're informed. You're informed about vaccines. I have been vaccinated, but it's not my place to tell you what to you're going to do. That vaccine. Yes, sure. You should be informed and you should make that decision. You should be informed about what's out there in terms of work and you make the decision and you not be pressured by social norms that say, like my brother would say, I don't want you to be ashamed of me. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's right. You know, I worked in our nursery and garden shop a lot, and I'd have people come in there, and I guess they thought because you worked in the dirt, you weren't very smart. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know. We get that all day we're long. We're your dumb dirt guys. We say it all yeah. the time. We know how to make mud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'd come into the shop, and they'd ask me advice. I'd give them advice. I knew I won't tell people something that I do not know for sure. Sure. And, and then they'd argue with me. And I'd, I'd think, well, they don't know that I have three degrees and they don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. They just see I'm working in the dirt and they think I'm not very smart. Yeah. Sure. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and it's, it's just part of the way our culture is. Yeah. Again, we're unfortunately a very judgmental people. All day long. That's yes. human beings. A very judgmental people. Yeah, my Bible study, we, we spent about six weeks on working on that. And then I'm still working on it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a work in progress. That ain't ever going to go away. Yeah. And that's, I, I don't want to go down the political aspects of right. COVID. But one of the things that, that has really just kind of been highlighted with COVID is um, one, how judgmental we are, and then two, how selfish we are. Yeah. Because if we could all meet in the middle by thinking about other people right. and then respecting other people's choices. Just right. being a good human being. Just being a good human. I That's feel right. like none of this would have gotten blown up the way that it has, but instead it's it's a combination of people being super selfish. It's my way or, or the highway. And, and it's also other people being super judgmental and making you feel super guilty and rubbing it. It's a combination of all of that has just made this festering pool that, that is where we're at with COVID and everything. Well, well, nobody wants someone else to do better than them. Like that's human being. You see someone else advancing, keeping up with the Jones yeah. mentality. Yeah. yeah. I got to be up with them or even better. Instead of just being a good person of like simple gesture of holding a door. It's me first. It's rain. Let me get through there instead of being like, you know, you know, that little bit of water and coldness isn't going to hurt sure. me today, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a hubris amongst other people too. Sure, they're, they think they're smarter. Again, that's what we were talking about. They think we're they're smarter than everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I want to go back to you've mentioned it twice now the the student debt problem that we have. Uh, I have my own personal opinions uh, about this whole let's cancel everyone's debt. What do you think the answer is kind of not necessarily on canceling everyone's debt, but just with dealing with the college debt problem, 
What do you see as a solution to that going forward? Okay. I, I do have some uh, opinions. Well, about sure. that. We'll and we'll take them. opinions. This is, again, our show is not to get down into politics. Right. It's purely exactly. you as your we're, opinion. We're interviewing right. you, so this isn't your yes. interviewing us. Right. <laughs> well, number one, uh, because I worked full time, I never borrowed any money. Mm-hmm. Now, people look at me and say, oh, you're so old, you just don't understand the modern world. No. Now, my husband... He had, neither one of us had any help from our families. By the time he went to college, uh, I mean, his parents were totally illiterate. His father died when he was 10. I told you that. So he was totally on his own. He did have to borrow $1,500 when he was in college. But he knew exactly that he was borrowing $1,500 and that he was to pay it back. Well, he knew he was going to pay it back. Exactly. Now, what you find is that students are saying, oh, oh, you mean I borrowed that money and I have to pay it back? So one of my solutions is, and the staff laughs at me, but this is what I would do, is if anybody borrows any money, I'd give them a blank sheet of paper and I'd put in very bold letters, I am borrowing this money and I have to pay it back and make the student sign it 20 times. Yeah. You know, that's one way, but that's the future. Sure. Um, right now, uh, if we pay everybody's loan back that has an outstanding debt, what happens to the people who did follow the rules? Sure. Who paid their loans back? Why is it fair to them? It's not. It's unfair to pay it back for some people and to have made other people pay theirs back. And you can never hear the people who advocate for paying it off answer, what do you do to those other people who paid it back? They yeah. never have an answer for that. What we need to do is hold schools and universities accountable yes. for what they're charging and the students they're admitting. Absolutely. Right That's now, where the key answer is. Yeah. yeah. Too many students are being admitted that the schools know will not make it. Yeah. But they hold on to them for a couple of years. You got to milk while, them. While they, <laughs> that's exactly right. And then they, they leave, sometimes of their own volition because it's not a good match. Sometimes it's because they flunk out of school because they can't handle it. Those are the ones that have the worst debt because they can't yes. get a good job to Correct. pay back. But if the schools were to be held accountable for that, then you'd see fewer of those students being admitted. So the other thing we want to do is we want the schools to say in writing to parents and students, here's what it's going to cost. Because a lot of times the students and parents don't know the true cost Correct. of going. This is what it's going to cost. And by the way, if you graduate with a degree in anthropology, everybody picks on anthropology, uh, there will be uh, 6,000 people graduating next year, or, or when you graduate, approximately 6,000 people graduating, and there will be 250 jobs exactly the point yep. require an anthropology degree. Yeah. And by the way, those jobs will pay a beginning salary of $40,000 a year. Yeah. Therefore... Sign up here. Right. <laughs> therefore, you got like a very small chance of getting a job in anthropology if you sign up for $180,000 in debt and you're making $40,000 for the first five years or so. Here's your problem. Okay, so we want accountability. We want transparency. Then we believe parents and students will vote with their feet. Sure. They will say, hey, I love anthropology, but maybe I'll make anthropology my minor. Yeah. And maybe I'll major in something else that fits my personality that I want to do, or maybe I'll go out and get another kind of a job, work for a while, then maybe come back and get a degree in anthropology because what we want are lifelong learners. Yeah. Like I'm a lifelong learner. You guys are lifelong learners. My husband, 79 years old, he's on the computer hours every day learning how to do things. Yeah. He learned yep. how to put in a 10 zone irrigation system. 
And those are not, I'm going to tell you, as a former guy in irrigation, that is not a simple task. No. <laughs> no. But he learned how to do I'm really that. good at cutting them. <laughs> That's right. We rip them out. <laughs> yeah, Without he, hesitating. Yeah. He's learned how to repair them, too, when go. the guys who mow the yard. Yeah, they go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> now, so, but, now but, going back to the student loans. Right. Um, where, how do we hold the the private lenders accountable for the mishaps of over lending, knowing like that no one is going to be able to pay them back in timely fashion without getting, you know, just being owned by them for the rest of their life? Well, well, the problem uh, the problem is that when the federal government in 2010 became yep. such a big lender, there are almost no yep. private lenders out there. Let me give you a little history about how we got into this situation. In yeah. 2010, and you don't want to talk politics, and I'm not talking politics, I'm talking history. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. In 2010, when Obamacare was being considered... It was a pretty expensive proposition. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the way Congress operates, if I propose a new program and I say it's going to cost $100 billion, then I have to go somewhere in the budget and find $100 billion that I'm going to take <laughs> away to pay for this new program. Yeah. Yep. I, the way the federal government did it, the way the the people in charge did this. You can figure out who's in charge without my saying. <laughs> <laughs> the people in charge, they decided to take over the student loan program. And so the federal government became one of the largest banks in the world. Yep. And they set a fairly high interest rate. So truth be known, the federal government makes money off of student loans and uses that to pay for Obamacare or the affordable health care. Interesting. So that's where the money's going. So we students who borrow from um, a private lender, in most cases, would be better off than borrowing from the federal government, except that the federal government guarantees their loan. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. But what is the federal government? The federal government's you and me. Sure. It's yeah. you as a taxpayer, you as a taxpayer, me as a taxpayer, all those taxpayers out there. We're the ones paying off those loans. The federal government doesn't create manna from heaven. Sure. When you say federal government money, you should say hardworking taxpayer Just printing money. printing money, baby. That's right. So any loans that are forgiven that means you and i are eating that right cost. now just yeah. as a twist in that we as a whole become very good and successful at selling debt good debt bad debt and just a twist on that i grew up in the trades from seven years old never got out i went to go pull a business loan and everybody laughed at me to get into that what was we where see my here. next thing was going yep. we see this construction equipment here and to walk over and to purchase a hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollar machine, they laughed Big at deal. me. They wouldn't give me no no loan. Right. I had to save X amount of dollars and basically sign my life away. And there's no guarantee. And that's to actually start a business and purchase and successfully to with create a yes, value in the economy with a exactly. business plan. And they would just laugh at you. But you could go to college, and like you said, the college debt. So if we're going to sell somebody debt at $80,000 for a college degree, I don't think they should come out of college with a $40,000 um, salary. If you're going to sell a $40,000 salary, it needs to be a forty dollars to $50,000 education. If you're going to sell at $80,000, and then be like, the bar set at $40,000. Yeah. See, the federal government does not take risk into account. Yeah. Sure. Your bank took risk into account. If you had not paid back your loan, the bank would have to eat that loan. Yeah. The way it is again now, it's the taxpayers who pay for that loan. So you are exactly right. We are writing big checks to 18-year-olds who have no idea how to spend money. It's, it, well, I'm raising yeah. my hand right now. Yeah. I was, well, I was going to say, I, you know, having gone through that whole process, uh, when you apply for student aid, there is no, as an 18-year-old kid, there is no concept as to what 
$20,000 is and what it means to pay that back. And then if you fail and then take a couple more classes, like right. trying to figure something out, not knowing the burden that they're going to carry well, down you, the road. I don't even want to go down that road. At 18, <laughs> I cannot tell you the number of kids that I went to school with that had new TVs and had mm-hmm. new couches and had new rims on their car. And it's all student loan money because That's it's right. free money that I don't have to pay back because I'm four years deep in this. And as long as I stay in school... And then all of a sudden you get out of school and it's like, oh, so I'll never own a home. Right in the, you know what? Yeah, I'll never yeah. own a home now. I'll be going back to school. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. That, right. And, and Matt, another thing just came to my mind, Brian said, uh-huh. it is actually against the law for a financial aid person to tell a student that he or she does not need all that money. It was actually written into the law. And not long after... That's where it got funny with me, because I got in the same boat. You know, I was like, I pay for school. I work full-time at an ice rink, driving a Zamboni and taking care of the place. But yet, then all of a sudden, they give me this giant refund check. I'm like, wait, school's paid for. I can pay for my rent, but also I get this $10,000 credit. And I'm like, oh, you know, I was living like a millionaire for four years. (laughs) Right, you know, yeah, and then I got caught with my pants down. You know? That's right. Oh yeah, living going to a residential college is like being on vacation for four or six years. Absolutely, there is no question about it. There's just no. I kept question about three it. different bars open during my uh, tenure. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. right. Let me let Wouldn't me tell you. Long. Let me tell you one good thing that happened though for anybody who's listening to this, and we're going to get out this out to all AED members. By the way, there was one good provision in a piece of legislation that was passed during COVID. One of the CARES bills and. It happened a couple of different times. Once it was a short terminology and then it was just wide open. If you, for an employer uh, who's a member of AED or any other profession for that matter, if you want to hire a student who has debt, we now make it possible for an employer to pay $5,250 per year on a student debt. It is an, amazing. It's an expense to the business, so it's no cost to the business, and it's not considered income to the student. Oh, wow. So if you're out there recruiting college graduates, or even people who went to college, or anybody who has student debt, and you find somebody you want to hire, you could offer that as an incentive. That's a great incentive. The, that, uh, the other thing... A million that, pounds off your shoulders. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that is possible that many people don't know is if you hire somebody who wants to continue their education in a formal way at a college or university you can hire them and say come to work for me i can pay for up to fifty two hundred and fifty dollars in education expenses for you per year wow so that you can continue your education while you now work is for that- me is that out in these employers' faces? Do they know about it, or is it tough, or is it one of those things well, that they're like, oh, there's too much paperwork, we're not going to get bring on somebody to run well, that side of the business? Their, you know? uh, their accountant should know about it, and I can't imagine yeah. anybody with any size business doesn't have an accountant, but that's, yeah, been, right. that's been in the tax law for probably 40 or 50 years. Wow. And right. this other had just went in in 2020. One, um, so 2021, the other one, but but there is help out there for people. So again, if you're looking to hire somebody who has college debt, as I said to one of your members recently, uh, you know, I wouldn't pay off that debt immediately. I'd say, okay, you yeah. come work for Might me. Might want to drag your feet there yeah. for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, got to put an anchor on that. That's for a right. Bit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Ten you, employers this year. I'm debt free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You come to work and you, you know, you do well. Then each month we'll pay a little of your debt off. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and it's no cost to the student or to the former student, and it's no cost to the employer. Yeah, that's a great program. Yeah. Mm. It is. So I want to totally shift gears on you for a minute. And I have a question. So uh, it really feels like, how long have you been in Congress now? I forget the number. 17 years. I was going to say, it's it's been a little while. Um, 
over your time, on our end, it feels like uh, not only individuals, but also people within government have slowly become more and more entrenched on this side or that side. Um, do you see that continuing to get worse as we go forward? Or do you think there will we will eventually kind of come back to the center? from you know because you have a very different perspective than any of us being in congress well i will tell you we we have right now yes i think the 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 largest the widest difference we've ever seen uh we have never had this many um progressives i will call them uh on the democrat side and I don't think it's that way in terms of Republicans more and more conservatives. I think we've always had a lot of conservatives, but perhaps they haven't been as outspoken Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the past. Now they're outspoken. But yes, I believe we will moderate. Uh, A lot will depend, I think, on what happens this fall in terms of the elections. Uh, it's always hinges on what happens in the elections. If a lo- if it's a, a year when a lot of progressives get elected, then you see the pendulum swinging that way. If it swings, it'll swing the other way, and then it will gradually come to the middle. That's sort of the way our country always has been. You know, we go f- from one end to the other. Um, Generally, each party will overreach a little bit. Sure. Again, I'm a Republican and I know I'm biased, but I don't believe Republicans have ever done it that way. It's, I think, always pretty much been on the progressive side that the overreach has occurred. I think what you see is Republicans begin primarily middle of the road. We are a center-right country basically we still have pretty strong morals we still we still are anchored pretty much in our founding ideals life liberty the pursuit of happiness sure a limited government not much done at the federal level i often point out to people that if you will read i keep a pocket copy of a copy of the constitution with me all the time it's in my bag right over there interesting but if you look at that eight and a half pages are devoted to the legislative branch yeah the founders gave the legislative branch a lot of responsibility they gave the the executive branch four and a half pages they didn't want the executive branch to do much yeah why we just came away from having a king we didn't like a king we didn't want a president be like a king right so we didn't do much the the judicial branch a half a page interesting and so we've gotten far away from that again the osha mandate is one example that was done by an executive branch agency who had no authority thank goodness again that the supreme court is made up the way it is and it said no the congress did not give that authority to the executive branch so one of the things that i've done since i've been in congress is work very hard on making sure that bills state clearly what the intent of congress is yeah in order so we can rein in the executive branch we've got an and i even with republicans i will say this it's not just with democrats we have republican executive branch people who will do things they shouldn't be doing sure but they have not been dra- you know brought back in i tell everybody i love all the amendments. Back in, you mean by like held accountable for their held actions accountable or? exactly yep. exactly yep. to kind of see it, it's like it's tough. It's almost like my daughter see me do something that I tell her not to do, and I yes. do it, and then there's no consequences. So then it's kind of like why shouldn't level, she be able to do it? <laughs> exactly. So me being a grown up, I look at the the politicians doing something and getting away with it, and I'm like, well, why can't I do that? You know. Right. So it doesn't paint a good picture. You know. Right. Or the executive branch, again, trying to beat the legislative branch. Sure. What, yep, OSHA, yep. what OSHA did was to write a law, and it has no business writing a law. Yeah. With that regulation, it has the same weight as a law. So what we have to do is come back to the middle, come back to the Constitution is what I recommend. 
come back yeah. to the Constitution. You will not find the word education in the Constitution. It is not there. The federal government has no business being in education. Federal government has no business being in health care. Those words are not in the Constitution. That's not something designated to the federal government to do. And by the way, the founders put an exclamation mark on it with the Tenth Amendment. I love the first ten amendments. All of them are important. But in addition to one and two, which most people talk about, you have the Tenth Amendment, which says... If we didn't outline it in here for the federal government to do, then it's left up to the states and to the individuals. So that yep. should be, and, and Republicans actually, when we're in the majority, when somebody introduces a bill, we have to show the constitutional nexus of that bill. Interesting. Yeah. We say, you've got to think about this a little bit. Why do you think the federal government should be doing this? You gotta prove that the federal government should be doing this. Sure. So anyway, I just think we we really do need to come back to the middle. Yeah. And and I work with Democrats. I every bill I've ever passed has been a bipartisan bill. Yeah. And and that's the way it should be. I can't Is it? even though I, I know I'm not the smartest person in the world. By the way. I'd give yourself some credit. No, in this no, 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 no. I am, I am not. I, I agree with you. You, got, you came on our podcast not knowing us. So that was pretty <laughs> But there are people who believe they're the smartest people in oh, the world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And Don't so, tell me. And so, but I know Rick. I'm not. So I am willing to listen to other people. Now, I'm yep. not willing to compromise my principles. I have very strong principles. Sure. And yep. I'm not willing to compromise my principles. But I will compromise on how to get things done. Yeah. As long as they're within my principles. And I tell my staff all the time, I don't want yes people. You, If I say let's do it this way and you have a better way to do it, if you don't step up and tell me and I screw up, then you haven't done me a favor. Sure. Yeah. Right? And I worked for a brilliant man one time who said, I criticized him for doing something. He said, you know, Virginia, I would have done it differently if you'd given me a better idea. But he said, that was the only way I knew to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So if you speak up and say, hey, how about considering this? And I bet all of you guys, you guys have been in situations like that where you thought this was the best way to do it. And then somebody around you, maybe not even somebody with all your experience, but they see things slightly differently. Yep, sure. And they say, have you thought about doing it this way? And in most cases, I will change. So, you know, this is this is kind of going down a totally different road, but that's that's one of my big arguments for needing more females in the trades is because males and females look at problems two totally different ways. And I cannot tell you the number of times I have looked at a problem. I've been just, I cannot come up with a solution. And my wife walks in and goes, well, have you thought about doing this? And I go, no, <laughs> I've never even thought of that. <laughs> but they're good in the skilled it, trades. Absolutely. They're it's very, the same very way in the skilled good. trades. They look very at those problems good. totally different. It's a very sexist trade. Yes. I mean, when a, one, when a woman comes into the trade, everyone that, all the jokes and everything we talk yeah. about stop when they're on the job. You're like, oh. And then they go out and crush the job. Like, they're phenomenal. Yep. And they don't get yep. enough credit. Absolutely. And they're not on the same playing field because as a human being, we haven't valued who they are. Sure. I'm so happy to hear you guys say that because I totally agree with you. Now, again, and but it's also people with different life experiences. Absolutely. Who see Most how to definitely. solve solve a problem so it isn't just male and female but it's people with different kinds of life experiences who come in and say hey and maybe even they saw a problem like this sometime and solved it a different way so we need many perspectives in yep. all of our ways of living all right so we are coming up right about an hour so i have one really? final question for you well, and, and Matt will have a, a, a question for you as well. But we all got my, it. Yeah, my, yep. kind of, my kind of wrap-up question for you is, uh, before you end your time in Congress, what are, what are some of the big-ticket things you'd like to accomplish? Well, I am working on something called the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act <laughs> uh, reauthorization. I read into that quite, I dug into that quite deep the other day. Okay. So I liked it. I liked and and what is that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
it's well when i introduced that bill in 2014 in the congress it was called the skills act does that give you an oh, idea yeah but okay. then the senate wanted to change the name would but the skills act so it's really a way to develop better methods of helping people gain the skills they need for jobs that are in demand gotcha and so that's, I'm working on that right now with, with uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, who's the chairman of the committee. We're hoping to get a bipartisan bill passed. But the other thing I'm going to work on uh, next year, when we're in the majority, I hope, is the reauthorization of the Higher Ed Act. I like to call it post-secondary education. But I would, right. some of the things I talked about in terms of how could we reform loans, how could we make uh, post-secondary education better, those will be built into that legislation. So I, I want to improve it. We've never had a reform of higher ed since 1965. Wow. And uh, I think because I've been in it, Again, I understand a lot, but all guys, I have learned a lot in 17 years. Let sure. me tell you. I'd like to a thank lot. you for that, though, because those are the daily questions we ask ourselves. We're like, is Congress and those people way up there, even understanding the realization sure. of where we're at? So for to hear you guys acknowledge that and break the ice of the what if questions that it's we huge. always ask is yeah. huge. Yeah. No, I'm. Uh, we think, again, the nice thing about Congress is you don't need all lawyers. You you know, I'm the only nursery person up there. Um, but I bring that to we need a we need to represent the country. Sure. We need yep. all professions. So I want to encourage the people who are listening to this in your all's professions to run for office, run for school board, run for county commissioner, run for legislature, run for Congress. We it need, all happens at the local level. Yeah. It, it starts at the local level. I was on a school board for 12 years. Oh, wow. Then I ran for the state Senate. Then I ran for Congress. And all those experiences were helpful. So now, now that you've been in it for so long, the, now, do you think, the Senate, do you, think do you we guys, do this? well, no, I was just going to ask, do you guys, do you guys talk dirty about the senators behind their backs? Is, is it a back and forth tiff between Congress <laughs> and Senate? <laughs> well, the, the Senate does think of itself as the House of Lords. Ah, okay. So the we noses go are way there. up in the air. <laughs> we got to go there. Now, Ms. Fox, if you had anything to say about anyone on the fence thinking about getting into the construction industry or the construction trades. Someone that's on the fence instead of going to the college, what would what would it be, and what's your opinion? Or or thinking about this and going to college at some point in their lives. Sure, because it's not an either or situation. No, absolutely, that's a it, great point. I, I don't ever want people to think it's an either or because you may go into construction, you may start out as a laborer, then you want to go into supervision, then you want to be a manager, you yeah. want to be a you know a, a superintendent. And you'll need some education. Sure, as you go absolutely. Along. But what or, I would... or or is education hands-on in the field? You know, you're learning. I I personally learn better by being a superintendent than a project manager and learning on uh, in the right. real world because everything in my construction management uh, courses on the education side. Sure, I didn't learn anything. I right. learned a bunch of what was in the book, what was written, and then I it didn't make any sense. Right. So I learned everything in the field, in the, the real life, and, is what and, I've learned. And, and most of us are that kind of learner yep. where we want to do things. But I would say find a high-quality person in the business and yep. go to work for that person and try Amen. out different things. We always want to learn from people who are doing things right. Yep. And and somebody you admire. Don't go to work for somebody you don't admire. Then it'll be work. You know what they say? If you love what you do, you're never going to work. Absolutely. And so uh, that's what I would suggest you do. And I would say try different things. I tell young people all the time, work in the summers in different places. You might not find the job you want to do, but you'll sometimes find the job you don't want to exactly. do. Exactly. I had lots of awesome. different work. Well put. I worked I worked in the pathology department at Carolina when I was a student there. Learned so much. I'll never be able to use that knowledge except when people come to me to talk to me about hemophilia 
or <clears throat> or blood diseases because I learned a lot about that in my job. And so now I'm yep. a better member of Congress. I'm a better member of Congress because I waited tables. I'm a better member of Congress because I was a secretary. I'm a better member of Congress because I helped run a business. Sure. All of those experiences. What I think we need more of is young people having lots of different kinds of experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Matt, you want to ask nope. your question? Yeah. So... It was a pleasure having you on. And, Thank you, uh, Matt. To end everything, we would like to know what, if you could change anything, what would your dream job be? My dream job. If you could go yep. back and do it all different and do anything or do you it wanted. tomorrow. Yeah. Well, what I've always, guys, this is a joke, and Lord, I'm not blaspheming. We love it. Uh, we love it. I, We're getting good. I've always said if the Lord would put me in charge, of the world for about four hours, I'd solve all the problems. So, so I'm still waiting. We're going to have to go grab uh, a Bible real quick, boys. Well, what I was going to say is, you know, th there's a prime example of, of God's most likely male because there's a female saying, yeah. all you need to do is put me in charge and I can do it better. But, not I, would say, I would say I agree with you. In my past life, I think I've had some uh, occurrence uh, doing some fun stuff that I figured out the world in four hours. Right. That's right. I, I, I will tell the, uh, this to young people. It doesn't matter what you do. Do it as well as you can. Use the talents God gave you to the fullest ability. God didn't give me the talent to be a concert pianist. Sure. He didn't give me a talent to be an artist or a mechanic. But what I've tried to do is do what he gave me to do to the best of my ability. Sure. Beautifully said. Well, well, Ms. Fox, I want to thank you on behalf of Sweat and Grime. Good. Just your time today. It was oh, been a pleasure having you glad here. Glad to do it. And, and I would also like to say uh, thank you for coming on and being a person because, you know, on the front line, so many of us go, those stinking politicians, those <laughs> those heartless conservatives or those idiot liberals. And Yep. I never said that. It's just, <laughs> well, you know, the, the job site talk. And, and it's nice to talk to someone and realize you guys are just people we doing are. your best we to are. make our country better and and thank you for that we appreciate well, it and well thanks, that's what i hope and thanks to the ad and the summit absolutely thank you for ad yeah. uh for having us here and uh yeah we'll catch Love you guys you. on the next episode of sweat and grime thanks guys thanks thank you